Uh, biblically, after someone understands grace, biblically, and I'm going to show you this, after understanding grace, the very next step in the Bible, part six, is this, to join a church family. To join a church family. That is the very next thing biblically that God called us to do. So Jesus dies on the cross. He raises again three days later. And then after several weeks, he ascends up into heaven. After he ascends into heaven, he basically says, okay, everybody, start going to church. Be part of a family. He sends out pastors and apostles to, to raise up the body of Christ to continue with um, the mission that he had. It says in Ephesians 4, 7 through 13, to each one of us, grace has been given. Okay, So after grace has been given and we understand the free gift of salvation, not of works, it is a free gift. Then he said this, when he ascended on high, he gave gifts to men. Now let's find out where these gifts are because you want to be wherever these gifts are at. That's where you want to be. It says his gifts to the church were some apostles, some prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, and here's the goal, to fully equip the saints, that's you and me, for the works of service to build up Christ, the church, to become a mature believer. So listen, you'll never be a mature believer without being part of a church. Never. So when you meet those weirdos that are out on the street that talk about they have church on the street or church at the beach or whatever the case is, and it's like two or three of them just, you know, hanging out and they read a scripture, that's not church. Church is when all the body assembles together. It's the difference between body part. You know, like you're, you have a kid that has Legos and you wake up in the middle of the night and if you ever cuss, that's when you cuss. That's when you, I mean, you will cuss. If you don't, woo, you will cuss. I don't care how pastoral you are. You step on Legos in the middle of the night, you cuss. Here's the problem. They're not assembled. They're just pieces everywhere. But once they assemble into something, that's what the church is. And I have this huge burden in my heart, and we're going to talk about it today, for people that are deceived and they think church is something you sit at home in your living room and you watch online. That is not church. You are deceived. It's either rebellion or it's ignorance. Church is not something you watch on your phone. Church is not something you watch on your computer. Church is when the body assembles together, okay? Now, it says for the works of service. I, I thought grace was free. It is. But after you receive grace, it enables you to do good works. And church teaches us that. It trains us. It equips us so we become mature believers. Okay? Everybody got it? So, three points on what church is. Number one for your notes. Church is this. Being connected to God's people. It's being connected to God's people. Psalms 122 verse 1 says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to our living room and pull out our computer and watch service online. Is that what the, that's probably the message sophistry translation, right? No, 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 no. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. 400 times for your notes, 400 times the Bible says we have to come together to have church. 400 times it says we're supposed to uh, worship together. We're supposed to pray together. We're supposed to serve together, give together, sacrifice together. It says we're supposed to eat together as a church. See, right there, I sold most of y'all right there. I'm joining this church today together. You know, when you look up in the sky and you see those birds that fly in that V formation, those geese. And, and I, 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 I'm not trying to be rude, but they're Canadian geese, and they just, just they, they make everything nasty. If you're from Canada, we still love you. Just leave your geese at home, okay? And leave your change at home that always gets stuck in our machines. But anyway, and so those geese are flying in the V formation. Do you know why they're flying in the V form? It's because they can go 40% further when they're flying together, when they're in unity. 
when they're going in the same direction, when they're following the leader, they go 40% further. Now, any of those birds can fly by themselves. Any of them can fly by themselves, but they know they will never get as far if they're not together. They'll never be able to get to their destination without one another. They realize they need each other to go to where God's calling them to go. 40% further when they're flying in unity together. Psalms 133 verses 1 and 3 says this. It's wonderful when God's people dwell together. That word dwell means to stay in the same place, not bounce from this church and that church and bounce over here and bounce over there. But when you're dwelling together in unity, not in strife, not in discord, but we're all going in the same direction. It is there at that place. It is at that place where the Lord has commanded the blessing. You're going to see this all in today's sermon, the commanded blessing. When God commands something, he does not need Gabriel's approval. He does not need Michael to okay it and put a check mark. When God commands something, it happens. But listen, you have to get to that place. You'll never receive the command. Listen, there is not a commanded blessing in your bedroom on Sundays at 930 or 11. There's no commanded blessing there. There is no commanded blessing out on the beach at Sundays at 930 and 11. There is no commanded blessing out on the river fishing, Randy, at Sundays at 930. I'm just kidding. Or 11. There's no commanded blessing at the mall, ladies, on Sundays at 930 or 11. It's when the brethren dwell together in unity. That's the commanded blessing. I was watching this um, county fair that was taking place. They were having like a horse pulling contest. I thought it was an Aner, but it wasn't. It was somewhere else. But anyway, they were seeing whose horse could pull the most weight for a certain distance. The first place horse was able to pull 4,500 pounds. The second place horse was able to pull 4,000 pounds. After the fair was over and they're breaking everything down, the, the, the owners of the, the number one horse, the number two horse, got together and said, hey, just for fun, let's see how much weight our horses can pull together. So they yoked them up side by side. Remember, first place was 4,500. Second place was 4,000. So you'd assume together they'd be able to pull 8,500 pounds. Listen, together they pulled 11,500 pounds. An extra 3,000 pounds when they were together going in the same direction. Hebrews 10.25 says, do not. Now, there's, there's weirdos that think that that the commandments are over and done and we're not under the command. Listen, there's commandments all through the Bible. It's not just the 10 given to Moses. It's through the whole Bible. New Testament command. Do not avoid worshiping together as some <coughs> Corona do. Do not avoid worshiping together. Get the shot. Come to church. Don't get the shot. And come to church. Just come to church. Amen. Come to church. Um, you know, one of the reasons that we need each other and the camaraderie of, of, of a family of faith filled people is because we go through things in life and that we don't expect it's going to happen. And there's this Christianese saying that says, oh, when, when the bottom drops out and life's horrible and you're out in the middle of the ocean drowning, that's when you need to really get in the word and press in and go to church. Nobody thinks that way. When the bottom drops out, nobody thinks, you know what, I could use a good scripture right now. Nobody thinks that. We all think, God, just get me through this. Just get me through, please. I just, just make this goal. That's what we think. So the goal is, when everything's going fine, that's when you're faithful and you press in and you connect to God's people. So that when the bottom drops out, you have the faith you need to get through it. One of our most beautiful church members 
husband and wife, she's earned the name Wonder Woman, her husband's earned the name Superman. They went through a horrible tragedy last year. This is a video of Helen about two years ago, two, three years ago, you can show that, and she's, and she's dancing. And um, not like Myrtle Beach dancers, like she dances for, for, like she dances for fun, not like, you know, there's no pole or anything involved. Show us the video. Let's see, it should be right, there we is. There she is dancing up a storm. The life of the party. Always excited, always happy, always full of energy. In church every Sunday, building her faith. Now, if you thought 2020 was bad for you, in 2020, she went through something horrific to the point where they had to cut off her leg. It got even worse. They had to cut it off even further up. This is a video of her now with her prosthetic leg. Now, listen real close. She's just as happy. She's just as excited. She's just as faith-filled. Do you know why? Because she was connected to God's people before, during, and after. And she's in church every Sunday. Now, if she can come to church after having her leg cut off, you can come to church. There should be nothing that holds you back from that. She's in the 11 o'clock service, by the way, if you're looking around. that She sits in the back of the 11 o'clock service. Oh, here's the point. Don't avoid worshiping together. Don't fly solo. Why would you want to fly solo? You can go so much further when you're together. King Uzziah in the Old Testament, one of the greatest kings to ever end. He got a bad rap because he did something bad in the end. But for most of the time, he was a great king. Uh, he implemented worship. He built churches. In fact, King Uzziah was such a good leader, he was the only thing stopping Assyria from overtaking Israel and capturing God's people. And so when he could not be king, if you read the book of Isaiah, Isaiah was so distraught over Uzziah not being king anymore. But I want to read you something about Uzziah. And I'm starting a verse early because I, I think, and don't email me if I'm wrong, but I think he invented the catapult. It says in 2 Chronicles 26, 15 in Jerusalem, Uzziah invented machines to be put on towers for the purpose of throwing large stones. I thought that was pretty cool. But he goes on to say this, his fame spread he became very powerful for God marvelously helped him. Now, I've never seen that in the Bible. It might be in there, but I've never seen with anyone else where it says God marvelously helped him. Let me modernize it for you, okay? Uzziah was the greatest leader in church. He knew the Bible. He could teach and preach, and people came to him for wisdom, and his anointing was so strong when he prayed, miracles happened. He learned modernizing it for you. He learned so much. He had God's favor and God's wisdom for 52 years of his life. But in verse 16, it says, when Uzziah became strong, he grew arrogant. And that led to his downfall. In fact, he defied God by going into the temple to burn incense. Let me just, let me again modernize this. Everybody in church has a role. Everybody has a piece. And you may be thinking, well, you know, I'm just a behind the scenes kind of person. Just let me, let me, let me help you understand this. You can live without a leg. You can live without some of the body parts that you see. You can't live without some of the body parts you can't see. You can't live without a heart, lungs, internal organs. That's those of you that do the behind the scenes things. Because of your work and your service, we're able to do the things that you can't see. So we're all part of the body, okay? We all have a special piece. So, well, Uzziah thought, I don't need everybody. I can teach better than the pastor. I can pray better than the prayer partner. I can sing better than the worship leader. I'm more anointed than this elder. I have more wisdom than this leader. I don't need y'all. I can go into church. I can have church by myself in my living room. That's, that's all I need to do for church. In verse 17, 80 people tried to warn. 80, in fact, if you study 80 church leaders 
said, no, 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 you need us and we need you. We have to all, we all have a piece of the body. We have to come together. He thought, no, I can do it on my own. As he was standing there, a skin disease broke out on his forehead. And God said, okay, you think that you can do it on your own? You think you don't need anybody else? You think you can have church, just you and your Bible all by yourself, and you don't need the rest of the family? Okay, verse 21, for the rest of his life, he lived in isolation, and he was unable to ever go to church again. Man, do not be deceived and fly solo in life. You need us just as much as we need you. We have to come together. I was watching this documentary on these penguins a while back, and they live in the Arctic regions of, of, of the planet where it's freezing cold. Temperatures can drop down to negative 50 degrees, negative 50, with sometimes winds up to 120 miles an hour. How do these little tuxedo birds survive in storms of that magnitude? Here's how. They all huddle together. There's videos of hundreds of them and even thousands of them, and they get in this huge circle, and the penguins on the outside, they brace for impact. They're protecting everyone on the inside from the 120 mile an hour winds from the freezing cold. The closer you are in the middle of the circle, the warmer it gets. In the very center, it can be up to 60 degrees Fahrenheit in the center. Listen, every few seconds, the back row steps in, and then the middle section exits out and gets on the backside. And then they step in and then another set of team goes on. Then they step in and another. And then once you get warm and in the middle, then you step back out and you protect the rest of the family. There's protection in our connection. They're protected from the storms of life because they all huddle together. Now see, one of those penguins could think, you know what? That penguin next to me, his breath stunk. And that other one, I don't like the song that that other penguin sung. And that one leader penguin gets on my nerves. You know what? I'm going to do this on my own. And that's fine. The penguin can go solo. But before too long, it'll be in penguin heaven. Because it will not be able to survive the storms in life all by itself. And I'm not prophesying any bad thing on you. I'm just telling you. I know that we live in a fallen world. There's divorce out there. There's death out there. There's pain out there. There's um, insecurity. There's fear. There's worry. If we don't huddle together, there's nothing to protect us. Don't isolate yourself. Insulate yourself. The, just as the right people can, can get you, fly you to your destiny, the wrong people can get you in the wrong direction in life. you got to connect to God's people. Point number two is this. We have to be convicted by God's power. There's a type and a level of conviction that occurs in church that does not occur anywhere else. First Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.5 says the gospel was brought to you with power and conviction from the Holy Spirit. Um, let me help you understand conviction versus condemnation. Condemnation is always past tense. The devil condemns us, we condemn ourselves, and sometimes friends and family can even condemn us. Condemnation is all about what you did yesterday. I can't believe you did that. I can't believe 10 years ago you made that mistake. I can't believe how horrible last week was not a good week. That's all condemnation. Conviction, and you might want to write this down, conviction is always future focused. Conviction is always about what can we do today so we won't fall into the same trap we fell into yesterday. How can we forgive this person today? 
How can we go forward in life? What seeds can we sow today so that tomorrow is better than yesterday? Conviction is always future, future focused, okay? So I want to show you three ways that the Holy Spirit convicts us when we come together in church as a church body, okay? And you'll see my whiteboard here. You see this, uh, this little plus sign with the N-E-S-W? That stands for North, South, East, and West, just in case everybody should make sure we're all on the same page. And this is a four-way intersection. It's a four-way stop. And there's a festival way over here on the east side of town, right? East, moving on up to the, is it the east side. Okay, so the east side of town is the festival. I get distracted easy. And so there's the festival. So you're in a car with your family, and you're traveling west to east. Okay, you're traveling west to east. And there's a guy over here on the side of the road that has a sign that says, keep going. Keep going. You're almost there. You're going to make it. Keep pressing forward. You're going to get there. Is that guy a good guy or a bad guy? It's a good guy, right? Good guy. Keep going forward. You're going in the right direction. That's called inspiration. And the Holy Spirit in church should always inspire you. To keep going in the right direction in the areas that you're going in the right direction. There should be inspiration in church, okay? Now you're with your family and you're traveling north to south. And you don't know how to get to the festival. You don't know. But luckily there's a guy with a sign over here that says, turn left. If you turn left, you'll make it. And you don't know what to do. That person is giving you direction. Is that good or bad? Say, is it good or bad? Good. good. Okay, just making sure. So sometimes we come to church and there's things in life we don't know what to do. We don't know how to handle the wayward child. We don't know how to deal with the hurt we went through. We don't know how we should handle our finances. We just don't know. But luckily in worship, in sermon, in Sunday school, in prayer, when we come together corporately, there's an anointing that, that, in a faith-filled atmosphere that gives you direction in life. Now you're with your family and you're traveling east. To west, you're going in the wrong direction. But it's okay because there's a guy with a sign that says, turn around. Turn, please turn around. You're going the wrong way. You need to turn around. You are going in the wrong direction. Is that guy helping you get to your destination? Is that a good, is that woman that's holding up that sign saying, turn around. Is that a good woman or a bad woman? It's a good woman. That woman is giving you correction. If it's a good woman, why do people in church get so offended when correction comes their way? If there's any group of people on planet Earth that should desire correction, it should be the church. It seems like that's what offends people more than anything. Listen, the Holy Spirit wants to correct you because the Holy Spirit loves you. Now listen, you can keep going in the wrong direction. You can keep going wrong direction, but let me just give you a, a truthful statement. You will not arrive at your destination. Actually, let me rephrase that. You will arrive at a destination. It will not be the destination that God has called you to on planet Earth. You won't get there. Well, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Listen, you can't do that. You cannot do all things through Christ who strengthens you. That is taking a verse out of context. Everything that God's called you to do, you can do through Christ who strengthens you. He will not strengthen you to go in the wrong direction. He will not, he will not, he will not. But as soon as you turn your butt around, I don't care how many potholes, I don't care what construction work, I don't care what rocks and pebbles are in the way, he 
will strengthen you to go through every single one of those obstacles to get to your destination. That's what he will strengthen you to do. 2 Timothy 3.16 says all scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for instruction, conviction of sin, correction, and for training us how to live in the will of God. And you say, well, you know what? I can just get my Bible at home and I can experience all that by myself. Yeah, and your children doing virtual school, they're going to be so smart one day. (laughs) (laughs) Lord, forgive me. That was too harsh. The reason... They need teachers is to instruct them. The reason they need coaches is to inspire them. The reason they need guidance counselors is to give them direction. Without these people in their life, they'll never grow and mature. And the same thing is true with every one of us in this room. Now, let me just give you a little tidbit of wisdom. Don't ever date somebody who doesn't love church. Because what they're doing, people run from church because they run from correction, instruction, inspiration, direction. They don't want to change. Well, after I marry her, then she'll come to church. Yeah, that worked out great for everybody else in here too, didn't it? No, listen, you got to find somebody that loves change from the Holy Spirit. In God's timing, His way. you got to have someone that craves this in their life. Why would we not crave it from God? He's the perfect Father. Uh, Luke 4, 16 says, Jesus entered the synagogue on the Sabbath as was His custom. If the Son of God habitually went to church... We should too. Point number three. Be committed to God's provision. In the Bible, there are certain things that God provides for us only in church. Now, some he provides other places, but there's a lot of them that he only, some of these things on this list, and there's many more in the New Testament, uh, uh, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, things that he only provides in church. And here's just a few scriptures here. 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Now, you are members of, of Christ's body, not, 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 not attendees, members, each with his own special purpose. Everybody has a purpose. God has placed in the church apostles, prophets, teachers, miracles, gifts of healing, helping, guidance, administration, speaking in tongues, interpretation, discernment, wisdom, faith. Here's what the scripture is saying. It's so amazing. It's saying this. Um, God is going to provide for you. God will provide for you. But he's not going to give you what you need. He's going to give it to somebody else. The thing that you need, the faith or the miracle or the healing that you need, he's not going to give it to you. He's going to give it to someone else. So you have to go to that place to receive it from that person that God has put in your life. Now, let me flip it. The thing that I need, God's not going to give to me. The thing that I need, he's going to give to you. And I have to come to this place to receive it from you. You know what I'm saying? You need us just as much as we need you. If you don't, if you don't come, somebody's going to miss out. If I don't come, somebody's going to miss out. I can't tell you how many lives have been changed in this church. And I get all emails behind the scenes from not from me. There are so many lives that have been changed in this place, not from the pastor. It's amazing. And I love emails like that. From a, a woman in a short group, from a, a guy at Amen's Breakfast, from an L, from an usher, from some, there's so many lives that have been changed, not by the one that you see, but by the people that you don't see. Amazing. Okay, so what are some excuses that people have for not coming to church? Well, luckily, I contacted Steve Harvey with Family Feud, and our top five answers are on the board. <laughs> Okay? 
so good and strong. What is the number five reason people don't come to church? What is it? What is it? <laughs> Everybody's a hypocrite. That's why I don't go, okay, listen, let me tell you something. There's hypocrites at Walmart and you go there. There's hypocrites at work and you go there five times, sometimes six times a week. There's hypocrites in America and I don't see you moving to another country. Yes, there's hypocrites in church. The reason we come to church, the reason we're Christians is not because we do everything right. The reason we're Christians is because we recognize we don't do everything right. That's, so yes, are we hypocrites? Yes, from time to time. We can talk the talk, but we can't always walk the walk. That's why we're Christians. That's why we come to church. Okay, number four reason, it is? Work. I work on Sunday mornings. Okay, listen, let me just tell you something about the commanded blessing. Better to make minimum wage at a job and have off on Sunday morning and have the commanded blessing of God in your life than have a million dollars a week working at a job where you cannot come together with the corporate body. It's totally up to you. You can have the blessing of the world or you can have the blessing of God, but you can't have both. And I promise you, for the sake of your spouse, your family, your kids, your mental state, your emotional state, your life, your addictions, and everything we battle, it's better to have the commanded blessing in place than any amount of money. Okay, number three. I've been waiting for this for a long time. Okay, so don't get mad at me and don't get upset. I love you no matter what, and I feel that you feel the same way about me, okay? Um, oh, Lord, help me. Just give me some hug. Let me just take a second deep breath. Um, I would rather obey God and die than disobey and live. Now, let me now get, get the shot. Don't get the shot. Wear a mask, wear a bodysuit, whatever you got to do. But let me just say, here's sometimes people start like, you know what? Um, if I obey God, I'm going to get a disease and die. But I got it figured out. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to disobey so I can live. Doesn't that seem kind of weird? You know, the God, that I, the, the, the God that protects and delivers, the one that is my source for strength and everything I have, I'm not going to do what he says because I want to live and have a good life. But if I do what he says, oh, I could die and things might go, what God are you serving? I'm just curious. You know, that's my thought. Don't get upset. I'm sorry. I should, that should have been number one. Okay, stay with me. Stay with me. Number two. Child and separation anxiety. I don't want to put my kids in the nursery. I can't handle it. If I don't see them in 30 minutes, they cry. Okay, let me tell you something. I got five kids. I made this mistake with my first two, and I paid for it for years. Your child is not your boss. You're the boss. If you allow your child to control you to the point where you ruin the rest of the service because you can't put your baby in the nursery for 30 minutes, I guarantee you, the child's a little older, they're going to be sleeping in your bed with you and your husband, which is unhealthy. After, yeah, y'all are already like, oh no. After that, they're going to tell you when they're going to sleep. After that, they're going to tell you what they're going to eat and what they're not going to eat. And when they're 16 years old, you're going to want to kick them out of the house, all because when they were babies, you couldn't put them in the nursery. Let your child know Jesus is our boss. You're not our boss. You're not in control of this house or this room. You do what we say to do. You can enjoy it or not enjoy it. You can cry for 30 minutes or be happy for 30 minutes. But we're going to go to church without you. You're going to enjoy it back there, and me and, and daddy or me and mommy, whatever it is, we're going to enjoy the presence of God and other adults in this place. And for heaven's sakes, everybody around you is thinking the same thing. Please take your child to the nursery. <laughs> it's our only 30 minutes together to hear the word and then be in a place without any kind of you know, distraction or anything. Everybody in the room. See, 
you have grace for your child that other people don't have. You can ignore your child and it's no big deal. Nobody else feels that way about your child. They want to spank your child so bad. Okay, number one. Friends in town. Oh, I've been waiting for this one too. So let me teach you something, okay? If you're a Christian and you choose to have sex before marriage with somebody and you want them to serve God one day, you've completely destroyed it. Here's why. Unless they're incredibly convicted and I'm so sorry, we need to get married. This is wrong. We can't live like this. If that's not their attitude and they think sex is no big deal, that person, and I'm going to say like most of the time it's the guys that want sex and the girls that want the guy to come to church and da 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 If you have sex with them before you get married, here's what his, his, his mindset's going to be. Why should I bend my will? to a God that I am more powerful than. If I'm more powerful than God in your life, why should I bend my will to Him? I can, I can talk you into things that your God says not to do. I'm stronger than Him. And you think, you, I, you want me to serve this God who I am more powerful than? Same thing is true with this. The greatest, the greatest evangelistic tool that we have, the greatest tool that we can ever be given to be a light for Jesus is the fact that we have homes in Myrtle Beach. Everybody wants to come visit us. Relatives we don't even like. Can I come by this meeting? We got to, you know, because it's for free. Now, if you tell that person, listen, you're coming in town, and you know, because you're in town, we're not, you know, God, eh, you're so much more important to us. We want you to enjoy your stay, so we're going to stay home and hang out with you, and we're not going to be part of our church family that's there for us and prays for us and gets through difficult times and celebrates victories. No, 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 we're putting them on hold because you're in our life. That person will never bend their will to God. But if you say, if you come and stay with us, listen, you're coming to church no matter what. Well, I don't want to. Listen, then you can't stay with us. If you're in our home, we go to church. We go to church. You know what they'll think one day? One day they'll have so much respect for you and they'll think, there must be something special about a church family. There must be something amazing about the presence of God and the people of God that they will, while we're on vacation with them, that they will make us come to church with them. That's the most amazing evangelistic tool you could ever have. That if you don't do that, and, and here's what people say. They say, um, well, John Paul, they're already Christians. They already go to church. Okay, let me repeat that back to you. Because we're Christians... We're going to disobey God. Because, but it's okay. We're Christians. That's why we're not going to do what God wants. Come on. Try saying that when you see God face to face. The greatest light you could ever be is for everyone in your home who stays in that place to come to church with you. Yes. Greatest evangelistic tool. You don't got to preach. You don't got to do nothing. We'll do it all for you. You just bring them here. 1 Kings 17.3 says this. God told Elijah, leave here and go to the brook. I have commanded the ravens, not the football team, but the birds, to bring you food there. There was a commanded blessing at a certain location. Now, Elijah could have thought, you know what? I passed by four better brooks before I get to that one. There's a brook over here that's got a waterfall. There's a brook over here with people my age that are there. There's a brook over here. I love the music at this brook over here. And God would say, that's fine. You can go to any other ones. But just so you know, every day your provision is in this place. It's up to you to get up and get to that place. Whether you're there or not, your provision will be there. So Elijah obeyed. He went to that brook. After several years, the brook dried up. The ravens stopped coming. That tells me sometimes God will move your provision somewhere else. He told him in verse 9, get up and go to Zarephath. I have commanded a widow to provide for you. Now let me just say something interesting about this story, okay? Elijah had an enemy in his life. 
someone that was causing him all kind of problems. Out of every city in the world, guess where his enemy lived? Zarephath. That tells me there may be somebody in this room you don't really get along with, somebody you don't really like, but when you're committed to go where God's called you to go, not even your enemy can stop the blessing and the provision that God has for you. How I wish, and I'm closing with this, how I wish, how I wish, how I wish, oh, how I pray, how we could worship Jesus and celebrate together like we do our football teams. Man, people will drive all over the place to get to a football game. They'll walk a mile in the snow. They'll stand up so far on the top of the thing. You can't even see the football down there. They cheer so loud. Nobody has to say, okay, we need you to clap. Okay, we need you to lift your hands. No, they do it automatically. They, they 250-pound men throwing a pig skin all over a field, and they get so excited about that. But when we come together and worship Jesus, sometimes it's like we got to force you to give God your all. If, if church wasn't so important, how come the devil fights us so hard on Sunday morning? You know, you can be on time for work five times a week. But you can't be on time for an 11 o'clock or 9.30 service. If there's ever a Sunday your spouse says something that ticks you off, it's a Sunday morning. In fact, I'll tell you the truth, and I'll, I'll, I'm close now, man, but me and my wife, we never ride to church together, ever, ever. And it's because I know if there's ever a time she's going to say something that's going to aggravate me, it's going to be before I have to preach a sermon. So if you ever hear me say something bad about vegans, that Sunday we rode together. We rode together that Sunday. Because I, listen, on Sunday mornings, you'll slap three children on the way to church with your shoe. And you only got two of them in the car. <laughs> it's because it's Sunday morning. Last scripture, Acts 1, 4 and 1 Corinthians 15, 6. It says, when Jesus Christ rose from the dead, he invited, he commanded 500 people to get to a certain place to wait for the Holy Spirit. Jesus invited 500 people to church that day. 500, and there was provision like they could not imagine. The greatest turning of the universe, the Holy Spirit was going to be able to go into, into, into fallible people, into our hearts for the first time ever. 500 were invited. Acts 1.15, Peter stood in Jerusalem, and 120 people showed up. 500 could have been blessed, but only 120 were in the right place. I'm here to tell you, if you want to take the next step, Join a church. You've got to be connected to God's people. You need to love the conviction of God's power. And you have to be committed to the provision that God has for you every single Sunday. Amen? Okay.